Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You're listening to the Blue Collar Brian Podcast. We welcome you. Thank you for joining myself, Scott McGrady, and Nate Penley. We are in the studio again. We're trying to be consistent now. Try to get pump them out every couple weeks. Yeah. Maybe if we get good enough, we could do it every week. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> it's if, it's if ambitious. Life, if life permits, that is very <laughs> ambitious right now. So I don't know how realistic that is. But uh, But yeah, we're back in the studio tackling big topic that's right big topic this week and if it works doing something new if it doesn't work i'll edit it out but if it works recording <laughs> video try, and seeing how that works video, yeah right here let's yeah. get to see our ugly mugs and my dirty basement that hasn't been cleaned in <laughs> i don't remember it's a then. studio sure <laughs> basement studio that's right right so big big week we're going to talk about the church the church a church the church what is a church I mean, they're like every i mean especially around here they're on every corner seeming seemingly right across from every bar all right <laughs> <laughs> is there a correlation there <laughs> perhaps uh and uh there's honestly I've, I've noticed too in a lot of these these cities here they often have a street called church street mm. it's where all the churches line up in the city square there in the town square and can I have that in Michigan? Not really. Huh. No, that's... Uh, Michigan, especially where I'm at, it was developed a bit later. This is this area has its roots pretty early on. Sure. Uh, 1800s-ish, right? Somewhere in there. Maybe even earlier. Even for earlier, a lot of them, yeah. yeah for earlier. Depending on the cities around here, pretty much earlier. I know there's a big coal boom for a lot of our coal cities that sprung up yep. whenever that was. I'm not a historian, so don't ask me. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, it, it was different back then versus a lot of the areas where I grew up was, I don't know, I feel like much more recently developed with the auto auto industry boom, which was different era, different mm-hmm. time. So I don't really recall seeing a lot of church streets. Hmm. Interesting. In you do have first streets, though. Uh, we do have <laughs> okay. first streets, yes. Yes, we do have that. We have first and second Baptist okay. churches. There you go. <laughs> yeah, so anyways... Churches. What is a church? They're everywhere here. So I'm sure there's probably a few people on the planet that haven't ever been into a church and at the very least would identify a church as a building. Right. Place we go to. Is that a misconception? Do we got to unravel that one? We do, yeah. Yeah. The church is not the building. Okay. The building is where the church meets. Okay. So the church is made up of what? The people, right? The people. The people gathered together. And and so that's that's what the church is. Matter of fact, that's what the word church means. Uh, it's it's this called out people that they're they're gathered together. 
um, and you have two aspects of the church, right? You have the universal church, or sometimes called the, the invisible church, and that is every believer from the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit uh, came upon the believers and filled them, and you know the, the, those that were in the upper room spoke in tongues and the apostles preached, and each one there in Jerusalem he- heard them preaching in their own language. Um, so you have the, the birth of the church there on the day of Pentecost. So every believer from that point on to now and however until Christ returns, and you know whether they're dead in heaven, uh, their spirits in heaven, or you know across denominational lines, um, you have the universal church of made up of all believers in Christ, all who are represented in Christ, who have been saved by Christ. So and, they're, they're part of the family of God. Right. And so we can call them brothers or sisters in Christ. Right. And that goes all, and that, that dates back to my, perhaps my grandfather. Honestly, I don't know if my grandfather was saved or not, but for those of you that know, you know, your grandfather could be a brother or grandmother could be a sister in Christ. Right. And so time, there's no limitation on that, on that time element. Right. It's, yeah. It's universal. Right. Absolutely. And then you have the local aspect of the church where you have a gathering of believers in a specific location. Time and place. Time and place. Right. And uh, so that makes up the local church. So you become a member in the church, in the universal church, when you turn from your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. Mm Mm-hmm. At that point, you are indwelled with the Holy Spirit, and uh, the Holy Spirit, that you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, baptized into membership in the church. Right. And then that the expression of that membership in the church is found in your membership in the local church, which you also enter through baptism and water baptism, mm-hmm. uh, making that profession of faith, that public profession of faith. Um, and, and so you are made part of a local church uh, in those things. So when I am regenerated when i when i am now a, a believer a saved believer i am part of the church absolutely so the, the imp- implication there is that if i have not done that if i am not a believer in christ if i am not regenerate if i have not put my faith in jesus i cannot be part of the church right i am not part of the church correct so so the membership of the church since the local church is an expression of your membership in the universal church, then the local church should be made up of, the membership should be made up of believers. Of believers. Correct. That sounds very exclusive, Scott. It seems kind of discriminatory, actually. Yeah. Doesn't it? Well, it is. <laughs> it is discriminatory. <laughs> it is. Right? But by definition, that's what the church is. The church is the gathering of believers. Right. Those who are in Christ. Um if you're not identified with Christ, you're not part of the church. Right. Um, you're not part of his body. You're not in union with him. So how can you be part of the church? Yeah, you can't. It's yeah. it's it's an important part of being part of the church to start, which would then allow you to be part of a local church. Right. Right. It's it's crucial. And it seems like we're almost belaboring what to me is a stupid <laughs> point here. <laughs> But it is really foundational. It's really important. And I feel like it's a it's an important step that we often miss. So if we don't get that first foundational element right, what is the church? Who is the church? Then we end up building churches that aren't churches. Right. We end up building ministries that we call church, but they're not really 
church. Right. We're trying to attract and gather unbelievers together and to um, call them part of the church. Call that gathering the church. to the church. Right. And, and I think a lot of people have good motives. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to, I don't, as we go into this and I mean, going to say, and we sound critical, we will be critical. I mean, let's just be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because we're talking about truth. Right. And, and so we are going to be discerning and that is discriminatory. So there are things we're going to throw out. Right. But <laughs> why, why would, why would that be necessary to throw something out? It be- doesn't belong. Right. Because it doesn't belong because we're saying there is a standard there is a there God has given us his word and his word tells us what is the church and what is not the church. And God even tells us what the church is to look like, how the church is supposed to function, how the church is supposed to be structured. Uh, God's word gives us all of that. Uh, God gives us the purpose of the church, the outcome of the church. All of that is laid out in scripture according to God's word. And so if we call ourselves Christians, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, if we're really following him and therefore obeying him, then we're going to do what his word says. We're going to structure the church and and be the church and the church is going to function according to what he says in his word. And so that's why it's important. Right. Are we the church that we want the church to be? Is this my church? Very much think this is this is our church. I, I was baptized here. I was I was I was born. I was baptized. I was married in this church. I was raised in this church. This is my church. And then there's this ownership, which there's a degree where ownership is right. We want to take ownership of things and have res- in the sense of taking responsibility for the things that, you know, is the church. But ownership in the sense of as if I have control, as if I have say because, you know, this is my church. When no, Christ is king. Christ has control. Christ has the say. Really, it's his church. It's not your church or mine. Right. That's what he says in Matthew 16, right? I will build my church. Correct. It belongs to him. Right. It being me. I belong to Christ. Right. We belong to Christ. So we are Christ's. And so his church is ruled by his standard. Something you said, I kind of want to go back to. You mentioned that the church is, for a lack of a better word, it, it's it's rooted in the word assembly. It's an assembly of people, right? A or a called out group of people, right? The word that we get that we translate as church is the Greek word ecclesia, right? Which means to be are, are called out ones, and, and right. it came to refer to an assembly of people that are distinguished, still used, as the Apostle Paul refers to the church as those who are called out, belonging to Christ, and we see him use it that way. Um, They're called out ones loved by God and called to be saints, as we see in Romans 1, 6, and 7. And so the church, again, is not the building, but these followers that are gathered together. And so gathering is a essential right. aspect right. of right. being the church definitionally. We, we do gather... And even just the word called out there, like, I feel like there's an implication there. Like, we are called out. Called out of what? And to what? Right. So there's there's a gospel impl- implication built into this word. Right. We've, we've got to understand the gospel first, which we've done in previous episodes, and, and, and certainly it's part of, it is the heart and soul of our church. So we've established the gospel. We are called out of sin, sin and death and misery, and we're called to be in the body of Christ. So we're coming out of that and into something else. So when we assemble, our logic should hold true that we as believers assemble. We are called out. We are separate from the world. So it is exclusive. It is not an assembling of the world. It's not assembling of sinful, 
unregenerate, unrepentant people. It is an assembling of believers that have repented of their sin. And we'll go into that more once we've assembled. What does that look like? What do we do? But at the very foundation, we understand that the assembling is of believers. Right. As MacArthur and Mayhew say in their, in their doctrinal book, it is the corporate gathering of those who have been transferred from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of Christ, so that they are citizens of heaven and not of this world. Right. And, uh, you know, he gives, he cites Philippians 3.20 and 1 Peter 2.11 for that. Right. So, I mean, we've taken, what is it now, 15 minutes with editing and intros, maybe 10 <laughs> minutes, maybe even less. We've, <laughs> we've spent this amount of time establishing what what is a church. It is the people and this is this is so crucial and foundational to everything that we are called to do as the church. And this is an important point that really needs to be hammered down, understood, fleshed out, because when we act as the church, honestly, we get a lot of pushback for acting like the church. Oh, you're not supposed to do that. Well, by, by what standard, actually? Let's, let's yeah. go back to the beginning here and establish what it is and who we are, and then that will establish how we live it out. So, yeah, it's important to, to get the church is believers. Right. Is the gathering believers. of believers. The gathering of believers. And then that's that's crucial in our day, specifically as, you know, we've come through 2020. And you hear talks about, we always hear talks about new stra- strands of the coronavirus. And and you, you can't help but wonder, especially as you've, you've heard the, the monkey pox be built up and stuff. You know, are they going to... Are they going into this next election, you know, the midterms coming up the end of this year and then the next year, you know, the big election for the president, you know, are they going to push these things again what during those the times? Next big thing right. And, and and so uh, I think it's it, we're in a day and age where we need to be ready. And frankly, we've discussed it here before that right. we weren't ready. <laughs> um, we weren't. I mean, we'll, we'll admit we were we hadn't thought through certain things that going through COVID forced us to think through. Right. Um, and so it was good in that sense, but it's kind of sad that it took that to force us to think through that we weren't we didn't have enough foresight. And, and, you know, there was a lot of tradition, I, I would say, maybe, too, that was guiding us through thing. Like, right. you know, we've read through Romans 13. We've read through, you know, the different passages in Titus and uh, and, and about government. Um, but we kind of I think we're flowing through tradition and and you know, our experience and understanding it that way until it was really challenged as we came to 2020. Uh, But we need to understand the significance of gathering as the church. Right. That doing church virtually is not church. Right. Um, You know, sitting on my couch, you know, watching whoever is not church. Correct. If we're not gathering, gathering is, is uh, the the idea of assembling is, is essential to the very, word itself right and so we need to assemble we need to gather together right and it's not that watching a preacher on tv or listening to him listening to christian music and singing along big caveat with what is christian music i don't want to get too (laughs) too skewed into that tangent but at at any rate those things aren't bad in and of themselves that can be good and encouraging for the believer right can be great tools to help and aid but they do not replace the face-to-face interactions that the church is supposed to be we're supposed to be a body together right i always think of of the apostle paul when he was traveling like and he wrote i forget which letter it was i think it was second corinthians you can correct me if i'm wrong or or just let it go (laughs) but one of them talking about how he longs to see them face to face 
and he's writing this letter in case he's delayed. Um, and granted, most most of the time, unless he was shipwrecked or, or was, was completely isolated, he was in a, in a local church somewhere or trying to build one. And so he understood the importance of, of what it is to be face-to-face, to be together. We're not meant to be Lone Rangers and, and alone. Right. Uh, we're meant to do this together as a family. We, we will not survive on our own. It is important for us to be together, and that means physically. Right. Computer screens just don't cut it. No. They do not cut it. No, and, and as we'll go through this, hopefully we're going to have a couple episodes on the church, and so talking about the different elements of the church, and, and as we talk about worship, as we talk about preaching and the Word, and we talk about these different aspects, and we see what the purpose of those things are and the way they're done, you know, that, again, that necessitates being together, even in singing. Like, part of singing, yes, we are singing to God. Absolutely, that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're singing those truths about Him back to Him and proclaiming His worthiness. But at the same time, as you read Ephesians, you read Colossians, we're, we're going to get into and we'll see the idea, too, is also a horizontal aspect to our singing where we're to be exhorting and encouraging one another in that as well. And so, therefore, we need to be together with each other in order to do that. And so that that's essential to those things. Right. So then, as we think about what the church is, why thinking about our day, thinking about Looking at, you know, we've talked often about churches in our area, churches that are just really popular and well-known. And as we think about the fact that church is made up of believers, how does that drive our understanding of how we do church and and what church, how church is supposed to be done? Yeah, I mean, being involved in the electrical industry and I'm not even sure how to describe it, but uh, involved into a lot of commercial industrial jobs where there's large numbers of people, lots of construction workers, even at factories where there's lots of factory workers. And I interact with a lot of different people and I can't tell you the number of people. It's, it's been quite a few of people I know that have been quote unquote involved with certain churches in the area. Oh, like, yeah, I I go to this church. I play drums at that church. I do this at that church. And yet my goodness, like, you guys seem to have no problem identifying yourselves with a church, and yet it's blatantly obvious you are not a believer in Christ. And I'm not even very nitpicky about that. Like, they would even, if I asked them point blank, simple gospel questions, you know, do you believe Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of your, of your life? Do, do you believe that putting your faith and trust in him and repenting of your sins and all that, like, like basic questions, like they, they clearly don't have a grasp on what the church is for, but they think they're part of it. Right. What are these churches teaching you that you can just come in and be part of a church and identify with a church when you're not a believer? And and there's a lot of risk in that. Then. Right. So you have these churches to be winsome, which I know is your favorite word, right? You <laughs> right. love. Right. Uh, 21st century made up word. <laughs> right. Um, and so, you know, we want to be open. We don't want to turn anyone away. We want to, you know, make everyone feel we, that they belong. And I think the danger is then that someone identifies themselves with the church. Right. If someone identifies themselves with North Valley Baptist Church and they're, yeah, I go to that church. Yeah, I belong to that church. Yeah, I do this and that and that and church. vice versa, if you identify with that person as part of your church. Right. You are yoking yourself to that person. Right. Yeah. Something I feel like the scripture speaks pretty clearly about. A, right. Uh, <laughs> right. And, and then 
as they go out and, and they live, though, contrary to Christ's headship and his word, you're risking out now. What does that say about the church? What message does that give right. about your church? What message then does that give about Christ? If we're right. Christ's church, uh, you know, so there is a, a reputation where this person is being a representation of our church, and right. we are to be a representation of Christ. Right. And, and so now we've we've kind of we've botched that. Right. Second Corinthians, we're supposed to be ambassadors of Christ. Well, how can an unbeliever be an ambassador of Christ? Right. They can't. Right. Period. Absolutely. So it is exclusive. Right. So what are we doing in our churches that lets unbelievers think that they're part of the church, that they're one with Christ in his body? Right. When they're not. That's that's a dangerous place to be. And whatever we're doing should not allow for that to happen. Right. And, and the gospel should be clear. Right. Yeah. And, and then I think it gives on the other side of that, it gives false hope. Correct. Because then someone's like, well, yeah, of course I'm a believer. I'm part of a church. I go to church. I do this and that with this church. I'm, But when they clearly don't understand the gospel, when they continue to live in sin, there's not fruit born in their lives. And they're not hearing the call to repent and believe. They're not being taught that uh, about pursuing holiness, not being discipled to, um, to obey everything Christ has commanded as we're told to do. Uh, that's what the church is to be doing in making disciples. See that they're baptized and obey everything that Christ has commanded. And, and when they're not doing that, when they're not, that's not important to their lives, and there's no place for God's word in their lives, there's no evidence of that salvation, we could be giving false hope to a false convert. That there's no standard of, you know, anyone can belong, anyone's, well, yeah, well, yeah, I go to that church, and yeah, I, I play the drums for that church, and I do, so of course I'm a believer. Mm-hmm. And and so when we skew who really makes up the church, there's a lot of danger and a lot of damage that can be done on both sides. Right. But Scott, I mean, let's be honest. I'm sure there's a lot of people screaming at us on the other end of their speakers, <laughs> listening to us right now, or headphones, whatever, however you're listening, that are saying, listen. You know, the church is supposed to be reaching people. We're supposed to be drawing people in. And shouldn't we be accepting of unbelievers coming into our church? Shouldn't we want them to come in and and hear the gospel? I mean, how else are they going to hear the gospel if they don't come into our church? We need to get them here, right? And that's, that's, that's part of the church's call and ministry is to go and make disciples. We need to be making disciples, Scott. What you're saying sounds like we're not going to be making a lot of disciples. We're going to be pushing them away. Well, first, on one <laughs> hand... Are we saying that we don't want unbelievers in the church and in the ser- in the church service? Do we not? Are we saying we don't want them there? No, I, we're yeah, not. Right. I mean, if they're if we have unbelievers in the service, that's great, mm-hmm. and, and we will. I mean, whether there's unbelievers or believers, both need the gospel. Still, mm-hmm. unbelievers need the gospel to be saved. Believers need the gospel to continue to grow. Correct. And, and so we're going to be preaching the gospel, and so we're glad that they're there. Um, and, you know, and Paul makes mention of that. Right. And we believe that the gospel is the way people are saved. Right. Hearing the gospel. Right. So they should hear the gospel preached to them. Right. That is how they will be saved. But primarily the way we get the gospel to them is what's that passage that says we're to be making disciples? What does it say? Right. How Go are we to make disciples? And right. make disciples. Go. Right. Be sit, going. Sit in a pew and let the pastor <laughs> make disciples. I think that's what it said, isn't it? No. No? That translation yeah. is... That's Eugene Peterson. That's probably. right. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's the message. Yeah. <laughs> or word on the street right. or something. <laughs> something like that. Yeah. So, but, so it's the church. It's not the church's job 
to draw people in and make them part of the church. Correct. Or, quote unquote, to make the disciples. It is the church's job to go and make disciples. Right. I think that's that's one of the biggest problems that we see in the church is that we tell ourselves that the gathering of the church, our, our gathering is an evangelistic time. Right. When no, it's not. It's a time for worship as God has prescribed worship in his word. Which can be evangelistic in nature, but that's not its primary goal. Correct. And and then too though the so, sorry I derailed you. No, sorry, <laughs> but it was a good point. Right. So right. So and so again, we we are happy if unbelievers are there among us, but mm-hmm. we're not going to direct the service for the unbeliever. Correct. Because that's not what the service is for. The service is the gathering of believers for God. Mm-hmm. And so again, everything we do in the service should be as God has prescribed in His Word. Hmm. And so it's, it's not a primarily evangelistic event. Right. And again, as you just said, the gospel will be heard. Right. But then, too, we also understand that even as we go to make disciples, what does that mean even? Yep. We go and we're sharing the gospel with people. We're not just trying to, you know, woo them to the church or woo them to Christ right. to make Christ look attractive, like which is, right. which is a problem in itself. I, I, I don't remember who first said it. But I know I've stolen it from them a few times that if you need to make Christ attractive, then you are preaching the wrong Christ. Right. That's he is a false Christ. Yeah, absolutely. Because he's God. He's the creator right. and sustainer of all things. He's all powerful. He in himself is glorious and beautiful. The problem isn't his lack of attractiveness. His problem is your eyes full of sin that can't see his attractiveness. Right. That don't want to see it. Right. And so... Being winsome and wooing people to him by by trying to make church attractive and trying to meet these felt needs is is not the way you make disciples. I think it was Paul Washer that says that whatever you win them with is what you're going to have to keep them with. Correct. And I think that's a problem with a lot of church philosophy is that it's a bait and switch. Mm-hmm. That we present everything as if it's all about you. Hey, hey, look, get your problem solved. Hey, hey, come and feel better about yourself. Come and, you know, get all of this, whatever it is, you know, find happiness for you. We make it all about you. And then suddenly we say, no, no, it's, it's really all about Christ. <laughs> right. Well, what, a, what an awkward transition that is. Yeah. And honestly, that's in my experience of trying to do evangelism. That was kind of my method for the longest time. Like try and just be normal communicate to other people that I'm a normal guy, that I'm not a weirdo, religious nut job. I take my religion seriously, and I try to be upfront about that. But at the same time, like, look at me, I'm I'm a pretty normal guy. Like, I have a normal family, I live a normal life, and that's going to be somehow able, it's going to be attractive for me to be that way, so that I can show them that, hey, I'm normal, we can create a friendship, and then I can do what's called friendship evangelism. The problem is, is as you just mentioned, like trying to like round that corner is always the most awkward thing in the world. Right. And let's be honest, at the end of the day, the majority of us fail at ever turning that corner. Right. We'd rather just be like, end up being, want to be liked by our friends. Like, oh, I've proven to them I'm normal and they think I'm normal. They treat me like a normal friend, but now I got to turn this corner and it's going to get awkward real fast because our friendship, they believe I'm someone else. Now I've got to reveal the true me, who I am. So now I've I've begun to take a different approach. Like, no, this is who I am up front. And it's weird. I and let's let's be honest. If we are called out, as that word implies, we should look different. 
We should be separate. We should be holy as Christ is holy. Holy means separate. It means different. It means that we should appear different to them. And that should be immediately obvious. If it's not immediately obvious, well, then I think we've got some sanctification that needs to happen. So the idea that we're going to come down to their level, look like them, camouflage who we truly are to get them to be attracted. You know, we just reveal just the nice parts about Christ that are just just the good part that are attractive. His The fact that he loves you. Yes, yeah, that's that's a great thing. But if that's all you reveal about who he is in order to, to get unbelievers in the door, we've done a disservice. We've not represented Christ well as his ambassadors. So yeah, it's kind of going off a little bit of a tangent here. But I feel like that's important for us to make sure that we're crystal clear who we are, what we're doing. We are to be different. We're to be called out. That's that's what the church should look like. And so when people come in, they should hear the gospel. They should see their sin confronted right in front of them. They should know they need to repent of that. They should know they should need to turn to Jesus to forgive them of their sin. And that's the Holy Spirit convicting them with the truth of his word. That's how they're going to get saved. That's how they're going to become part of the church. It's not by rock concerts or Late shows. at the movies right. nights. <laughs> You know, let's let's bring them. You know, bring the kids in with Disney princess movies, right? Like that's that's not what we're what we're trying to to do. That doesn't look separate. That doesn't look holy. That's not what God commands us to do when we gather, right? I mean, those are pretty bad. Is aberration the right word? They're I don't know. Abomination may be a little strong. <laughs> Maybe not. I think it works. <laughs> and I think what we what we do is then we inevitably botch the gospel because we tell people to come to Jesus for all of these reasons. Come to Jesus Correct. if you're if you're feeling hopeless. Come to Jesus if you're depressed. Come in to Jesus to to get your marriage fixed. Come to Jesus to to be fix, a better parent. Fix your anger. That's right. Yeah. Whatever. And again, am I saying Jesus doesn't affect those things? No, he does. Absolutely. But that's not why you come to him. Right. You come to Jesus first because you have no righteousness. And without righteousness, you're not getting into heaven. Mm -hmm. And there's only hell to pay then uh, for your sin. And and so when we don't present the law and the gospel, we don't proclaim uh, that there is coming judgment because we have sinned and you yourself have sinned. And so you need a savior. When we present present Jesus as this uh, way to get a better life, uh, we we completely botch the gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, the gospel is the fact that I deserve wrath from my Creator because I spit in the face of my Creator and I've offended His infinite holiness. I've broken His law, which is His standard of holiness, the reflection of His very character, mm-hmm. and I am held accountable to that. And because He is just and holy, He's going to bring His justice full weight of his justice against all law breaking. Mm -hmm. And therefore I have no hope within myself. I need a savior and Jesus is that savior. Come to Jesus to find forgiveness of your sins. Come to Jesus because he is righteous in himself. He is your righteousness for you Uh, because of the being God. He is holy and righteous. And, And so he lived a holy and righteous life as a man. And then having lived that perfectly holy and righteous life, went to the cross as the perfect sacrifice to pay for the sins of wretched sinners like you and me. Right. Uh, if we are trying to attract people to Jesus for all these other reasons, that gets lost. Right. That is how we grow the church, is by proclaiming that true message. 
right. of what Jesus has done. Why doesn't that happen? Why do we not proclaim that message? Why do we take all of these other routes and make the church look like all these other things, except for what the church is to look like and the church is to be? Why don't we just say, listen, Christ said he will build his church, and what he has called us to do is proclaim his gospel as he builds his church? Well, I think there's there are many reasons why, and I don't want to overgeneralize and say that everyone who strays from that is doing it for this one reason, but certainly one major reason is I think it's well-intentioned to start. You know, perhaps we've been affected by the gospel, we're so grateful by it, we're passionate about proclaiming that, and so before we're truly equipped and discipled, we go out and we start doing ministry. We're going we're gonna to be on fire for Jesus, and I feel like we get the cart before the horse often, and we think, well, how can we get people to accept this message that I believed? Well, as you said, like, we'll dress it down, we'll dress it up, we'll fix it any way we can to attract people without first stopping and thinking, like, well, what is it that, that convinced me in the first place? What is it that really got me convicted about my sins? We get our eyes on, transfixed on, hey, we, you know, we need to be taking the gospel out, so... Let's not let anything hold us back. And the simple fact of the matter is the scripture is pretty clear how we're supposed to do that. And seemingly we've missed that part somehow. We've missed the clear commands of what the church is, what we're supposed to do. I think how we're supposed to grow as a church, I think is pretty, is pretty clear. Even like we were talking earlier, but going back to uh, Israel and how they were to be a blessing to everyone else was to be different, was to be holy, to pursue holiness, to worship God for who he was. And the churches, I think, once we finally get to Matthew 28, we have the Great Commission. You know, all authority has been given to Christ. That's why we go and make disciples. And I think that the way we do that, largely, similarly as the Old Testament saints were supposed to do that, they were supposed to be separate. They were supposed to be holy. They were supposed to be committed to the laws and truth of God's word that was supposed to make them salt and light. They were supposed to be salty to the surrounding pagan communities that do not have Christ. And because they do not have Christ, they're going to have cultures of death, decay, destruction, pain, and suffering. And a life that is committed to Christ, wisdom principles say there should be natural blessings that come from that. Now, I get that we're still not perfect, so we don't do this perfectly, but we should be different. We should be growing. We should be set apart and separate, and that's the way we should grow. But it's so easy to get sucked into this idea of, like, well, i got to help this message out because, let's be honest, I, I just proclaimed this, this message, and most people look at me like I have three heads, like I'm a weirdo. Well, let's come to grips with the fact that you are a weirdo if you believe in Christ. <laughs> that, that's, that only happens by a supernatural working of God. That's weird. Right. That's not a normal thing. And we need to we need to be okay with that that we are different. And so we can't help the gospel out. The gospel does its work and when we try to help it, we end up hurting it. We end up messing it up bad. And so we get churches that call themselves churches that are not churches. At best I could maybe call them a ministry, but even that I think is being a little too generous sometimes it's really a distraction of what we as the church are supposed to be doing yeah and i think you're exactly right and i think i would 
I mean, maybe I'm being, maybe I'm going to be too general here, but (laughs) I think like, as you said, when someone's, you know, not attracted by the gospel, that's, you know, that's, that's not a a message they want to hear. And so we see the response that people have, or we think we need to help it out. So then what that shows is that actually, when it comes to the gospel message itself, we're actually ashamed of the gospel. Mm. And why did Paul then preach what he did? And why was Paul so bold? Because of what he says there in Romans 1.16, right? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, mm-hmm. for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, you know, first for the Jew and also to the Greek. Uh, the gospel is the power. It is the authority of salvation. There is no power and authority outside of the gospel for someone to come to Christ and be saved. And so if we're ashamed of it, though, we're not going to proclaim that mm. gospel, or we're going to think we need to help it along and make right. it better, and we need to couch it with all this other stuff right. to make it more attractive of a message. But we just need to trust the gospel. We need to actually trust that this is the power of God unto salvation. We have right. to actually believe God's word. That's that's the first step to being able to proclaim it boldly is you have to really believe it. And I think I think that's part of the issue with our church is we have churches that are full of people that don't believe the gospel. And that's a problem. We should be through the preaching of the word and the teaching and disciple making, we should be weeding them out. And I know that for a lot of people they think, well, we shouldn't be pushing people away from the church. Well, if they're not there for the right reason, we should. Uh, that's part of the pruning process. I mean, that's scriptural language there. Like, God prunes his church, and rightfully so. We should not let people be comfortable in their sin. When the gospel is proclaimed, whether it is a believer or an unbeliever, they should not be comfortable in their sin. So they're going to do one of two things. They're either going to repent and get, get things right, or they're going to leave. They're going to go somewhere else. They're going to get away from that because they don't like the weight that is going to feel. So if we're truly proclaiming the word, the gospel words of God, it's not going to let unbelievers sit there comfortably and think they're ambassadors of Christ. When we present the true Christ, it's going to either cause them to repent or it's going to push them away. So the gospel, and this is this is part of it, I think maybe perhaps, and maybe if I give the benefit of doubt to a lot of people, the gospel, we heard the gospel and it was attractive to us. We were drawn in. So maybe we think that the gospel should be attractive to all people then. But scripture clearly doesn't back that up. God's word is, it divides. We went through First Peter and First Peter, I believe it's chapter 2, talks about Christ being the cornerstone. He is the cornerstone of the church and his people will be drawn to him as the cornerstone to be built up on top of him as him the chief cornerstone that's part of his job as the cornerstone is that it's a strong foundation for his body to be built into so we're part of christ but another thing that cornerstone does is it's a stumbling stone to those that are not called out it is something they trip over it's something they hate and as christ is truly revealed we either grow in Christ and become more like him or we grow away from him more into our sin to where to the point we're actually given over to that. Those two things are like oil and water. They don't mix. And that's by design. So the gospel, yes, it's attractive to his children, but it's also repulsive to those that are not his children. So should the gospel be, or should it be attractive to all people? No, it shouldn't. That's, I think, something we're missing in the gospel. So the problem with that, though, that we have often is that we think we need to have 
a specific kind of outcome. If I'm going to share the gospel with someone, if I'm going to, you know, proclaim Christ to them, then there should be this specific outcome. If God is really working in my life, if God's really working in me, then I'm going to have this outcome when I share the gospels and when I reach out to someone. And so when we don't get that outcome, well, why? What's wrong? What's the Where problem? Where did I go wrong? Where did I go wrong? Right. And so then we have to figure that out and fix that. And I think that's a big problem where we don't understand, where we think it's we are the ones that have to save people. Mm-hmm. We're the ones that have to get people to make a decision. Uh, but then that's us building the church if it's dependent upon us. Right. But again, who said he's going to build his church? Jesus. Right. Christ is going to build his church. Uh, we are instruments in his hands. We mm-hmm. are his mouthpiece to proclaim that truth. So it's our job. We have responsibility to right. get the message out, to, to share the gospel, and to live out our lives in such a way, as you said before, that we are salt and light, uh, that we are growing in holiness. But... It's our job to do that, to be those instruments and tools, but it's not our job to get anyone saved. We proclaim the gospel, and it's Christ who saves. Mm-hmm. And so even you said, yes, we were attracted. We, we were drawn in by the message. But that even begs the question, why were we drawn in? Mm-hmm. Because the truth of the matter is my heart was just as hard and sinful as anyone else that we've talked to who reject the gospel. Why was I drawn in? Not because of anything about me. Not because I just saw how great the gospel is, and so I I knew I had to believe and and trust in Jesus. I was smart enough to know I have to trust in Jesus, Mm -hmm. and and I could see in of myself how great and beautiful this message is. No, that's not why. I was drawn in because Christ drew me in. God drew me in, right? That's what we read in John 6, that no one comes to Christ unless the Father draws him. Mm -hmm. That I was dead in my sin. That's Ephesians 2. I was dead in my trespasses and sin. And a dead person can't do anything. Then why did I come to Christ? Well, because verse 4, but God, mm-hmm. who because of, mercy. because of the great love in which he loved us, right. right, made us alive with Christ. It's what God did. Right. You and I did nothing to save ourselves, and we're not going to do anything to save someone else on the street. We proclaim the gospel. We are faithful to what God's word says, but God's the one who does the saving. So, don't take our word for it. Search the scriptures and be a Berean, a blue-collar Berean. And we'll see you next time.